Right, if you can hear my voice right now, it means you're listening to episode 18 of the Rebel Matters podcast. It is nearly midnight on Thursday night. I just got back from Dublin after recording a cracker episode with Arvine and Shimon, who form the acid hip house duo Bon Voyage. I took the train up to Dublin to meet the lads at Arvine's parents' house, and we ended up talking about their individual paths to hip-hop, their own creative processes, and the importance of the message behind genuine art and music today. The reason that I'm in here so late getting this together is that this episode is coming out the day before our biggest Ackley event so far, the Gym Jam. Arvin and Shimon are going to be performing at the Gym Jam, but they've also been a great help to Alex Sampson and I to get this event off the ground. We've got a serious collection of DJs and artists that are coming into Ackley to put on a special fundraising night for the Irish wheelchair rugby team, who are going to Australia to compete in the World Championships in August. You can still get tickets for the event at Ackley or an event break, but at this stage, if you're listening to it and the Gym Jam hasn't happened yet, your best bet is to come to the door on the night and we'll do our very best to get you in. But if the Gym Jam has passed and you're listening to this, then you're in for a massive treat in this episode. As you know, if you're a regular listener to the Rebel Matters podcast, this is a side project for me on top of developing Ackley, a really unique personal training facility right in the middle of Cork City Centre. If you want to find out more about Ackley or how we can help you with your training or your health or your fitness, go to our website, ackley.ie, A-C-L-A-I.ie, where you can also book yourself in for a complimentary consultation. There are so many great moments in this podcast for me that not only apply to music, but just to life in general. To get the mood going, I'm going to play as an absolutely sick track from Bon Voyage which we actually talk about in the episode so here we go opening up with Bougie she bougie and she know it she way too good for that cause she bougie she bougie she bougie and she know it and she way too good for that cause she bougie she bougie I ain't going to McDonald's I ain't riding no train I ain't wearing no riding pants unless it's say ball man. I ain't cooking or cleaning. I ain't rolling no blunts. Why every time you up in my face with them go fries? Cause I'm bougie. She way too good for that. Cause she bougie. She bougie. She don't know how to act. She bougie. She bougie and yeah, she know it. She bougie. She way too good for that. I can't tell me nothing that my mama didn't say. If you don't know what living is, go learn another day. Cause she bougie. And I hope you find your way. Cause she bougie. I ain't making your bed. I ain't folding your clothes. When you went in that studio, better not be with no hoes. I don't care if you a stylist, you can't tell me how to wear my clothes. I don't want no Molly giving me some candy for my nose. Cause I'm bougie. And everybody knows. I'm bougie. Yeah, you bougie. She bougie. Okay. Bougie, I she know it. She way too good for that. But she bougie. She bougie. Okay. You can't tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing that my mama didn't say. You can't tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing that my mama didn't say. You can't tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing that my mama didn't say. You can't tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing that my Too good 
bougie. She don't know how to act. She bougie. She bougie and she know it. She bougie. She bring some good for that. She bougie. Thanks, man, for doing the podcast anyway, first of all. No worries. No worries, man. Definitely. Uh, as I was saying earlier, I've, I've only recently kind of got into electronic music in the last couple of years and I've become quite interested in where it actually came from originally and hip-hop as well. I watched that documentary series, The Evolution of Hip-Hop, on Netflix and it was fascinating because it went back so far. Yeah. So when... Like when you guys agreed to do the podcast, I was thinking, sweet, this is a good chance to talk about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, like I, I probably Shaman would be good to start considering he's comes from the birthplace of, uh, of modern hip hop as we know it, and then I can show him my two cents. They say, they say that, from my knowledge and like research and all that, it like started at Sedgwick, but then it like goes about in history beyond saying that hip hop started with a lot of like, reggae ska type things as well so where that defining point where it actually started is kind of a blur for me i guess and it's kind of just one of those things where you just go about with the information that you found but for the bigger picture for me i would say that's where my knowledge of it starts is with like sedgwick and then like all the zulu nation africa bambata fat five freddy all those ones and all the park jams in New York, Brooklyn, Manhattan, all those. And um, yeah, it also including like hip hop as far as like having elements, it was very definitive to have elements which included like graffiti, breakdancing, rapping, those. And um, DJing. DJing, exactly. And, and fashion is a big part of it as well. Well, that's what they, that was the thing, like, at the core, everything that I studied or, like, everything that I followed, those manuals said that fashion was just as much a part of rap and hip-hop than it was in itself. So, all those earlier groups, like, say, like, um, Furious Five, all those, all those from that vein, they all, like, really brought a big fashion aspect to hip-hop and it wasn't just like the sound maybe it was easy and effortless for them to do the style like as far as fashion but it was all part of the package so when you heard the music you could connect it with like an audio visual type of connection instead of just like hearing the music so i think that was really a big important part for like hip-hop coming to the forefront was knowing that each crew and each uh, each realm and element had their own style coming to things. It's a huge part of it, really, isn't it? Yeah. Like style really defines, you know, music. And I think with hip-hop, you know, really embraced its own style. I mean, I, what I love about hip-hop and where it comes from, like, for me, like, it, from what, obviously I wasn't around then, but from what I understand is, is it does come from the Jamaican sound system, um, tradition. So they when they when all these Jamaicans moved to New York, for example, and they were playing records, and the DJ actually wasn't the person who played the record. The DJ was the MC in the reggae tradition, you know. So mm-hmm. they, they would basically put on records and they'd speak in between the records, and it wasn't this kind of turntablist mixing um, style. And um, you know, and then when it came to New, to New York, 
you had a history of, of, of kind of like soul funk, you know, black soul funk music, you know, the James Brown funk breakbeat style. And those records were in circulation from the 60s and 50s. So when those Jamaicans started mixing with, you know, people from New York, you know, they were incorporating those sounds into the DJ sets and they were taking it one step further. And they were playing it, a lot of the time they would be playing out the windows of their apartments and onto the block and the whole, hence the word block party, you know, people would be hanging around the block listening to the DJs playing in their bedrooms, mm-hmm. literally, you know, with these massive sound systems. And it evolved from there. And one of the other interesting things is the development of the BQE, the Brooklyn Queens Expressway. So the Brooklyn Queens Expressway is is a train line in in New York, and the area it was in was um, predominantly, um, I think it was like Italians, Jewish Italian area maybe, you know, predominantly. And well, they basically flattened it and brought in a lot of cheap laborers, mostly black and uh, part partly Irish, you know, to kind of redevelop the area. And with that kind of that coincided with the birth of hip hop, you know, because there were, there were these people coming into these different communities and mixing and, you know, they were getting closer to the disco scenes and they weren't part of the disco scene. Like the black community wasn't accepted in the disco scene per se, because it was very much, a, you know, probably a white dominated, you know, quite massive on the gay scene as well. So they wanted their own, you know, and they were like, we got to create our own music and create our own parties and, essentially a lot of it kind of started devolving there you know they were doing like garages and blocks and then you know set up their own clubs and creating something that wasn't wasn't even defined as hip-hop at that stage it was just playing music from their moms and pops record collections where they had like breaks that were interesting that you could dance to and then they were talking over the top of it just to put it to segue in between the tracks you know and and that, and you know, it was Grandmaster Flash was the guy who invented the the, the the mix the mixer, and he was the one who basically decided, you know, I want to I want to keep this beat going because there's a segment of this record that's amazing, and I want to like I've got two copies of it. If I kept it going, people are going to dance longer. So he was the first one to do that. He created his own mixer, you know, soldered two mixers, two crossfaders together, put it in the crossfader, created the crossfader, and started DJ culture. Really, essentially, you know. Um, in the tradition of hip hop, you know, so there's, a, there's lots of social economic things that went on that were responsible for this, you know, which is mad. It's like ending. It's like birth, oh, the birth yeah. of Acid House, you know. It's like Margaret Thatcher decriminalized, you know, ecstasy at, at, at a point when football hooliganism was rife in the late eighties in, in in the UK, and they had no control over it, and that changed the football hooliganism forever. Decriminalize it. Decriminalize it from a class A to a class C drug, which meant that it flooded the market, and all these football hooligans started taking ecstasy in the 80s and you had West Ham and Millwall fans and Arsenal fans who were who I know some of these guys who were running in the in like the proper gangs you know and they're all of a sudden they're all mates together hanging out in, in shoe and love each other yeah love each other and go to Ibiza together and it's all good <laughs> so like so there's a lot these things change it can change history and music yeah. gets very much influenced by these things and you know like you know they didn't have you know it was interesting you didn't they didn't have um the money in 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 that in that time of hip hop, where you know they couldn't afford all the, the fancy clothes and the you know the the fifty dollar entries and like all these expensive vinyls, you know to co- to get involved in that kind of disco scene. So they created their own using what what they had. They had street clothes. They had 
you know, streetwear, and they had um, old school soft funk records from their parents' collections, and they just created their, you know, sound, and old sound systems, and they, that's how it started. It's DIY, man, you know. So is that moment when Grandmaster Flash invented the mixer like pivotal evolutionary moment? In it's, the a, it's a pivotal evolutionary m- m- moment, you know. There was other like there's a whole bunch of the DJs around that time who got on it then, you know, Grandmaster DST, and you know, there's, there's a bunch of them, you know, and. Uh, there's a big Jamaican influence actually in the whole sound system thing because the, the sound systems have come from Jamaica, you know. They're the ones who mastered it and brought it over, you know, so they have a lot to answer for. You know what I mean? They do, you know, and, and it's great, you know, they're, they're, they're responsible for for a lot of great sound systems. And, you know, if you look into the lineage of a lot of the hip hop guys, you know, hip hop DJs, there's a lot of them have Jamaican ancestry, I'd say, you know, so it's really quite interesting. It seems like it came out of New York being a big melting pot of different people in there and different influences. And- oh, yeah. Yeah, massively. Yeah. Actually, you touched on a question I was going to ask you guys anyway. How much of like when new music comes out like that? How much of that is an expression of something that's going on in society? Like, that's a very difficult question. I mean, I mean, it's you know, like I don't know. Is the answer yeah. to that because I think it depends a lot. Of people, I, like we we've been in cab journeys for the last week in London. And the Uber drivers are playing like mainstream radio, and it's the worst music you've ever heard. Yeah. It's not. It's not a. It's not an observation of what's happening in the world. It's just rubbish that has been made to like, yeah. poison people's minds. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. programming. It's like you know, like I, for me, music's quite. People are a lot of these. This music is made to programming you program people who are programmed into the matrix, essentially. You know, because they make it formulaically, and they have ridiculous hooks and. It's just, it's like a program of music, you know. They just hit a few certain factors and it's done and it's terrible, you know. So that can't, none of that music is, is has a social, you know, concept or view. Yeah, and then you would get someone, like, every so often in time, you'll get something like uh, NWA coming out. Yeah. And that's, like, brand new. People feel like they're representing them, like they're, yeah. they're giving them a voice that they didn't have before. Yeah, I mean, it's, I find a lot of music is the dumb and down of in our society you know it's like keeping people dumb and not expanding their minds you know I'm not, I don't mean to be negative about it but I just I just don't see the benefit of it you know there's no social consciousness you know there's no it's not adding anything to it it's just there and mm. it disappears it's interesting though because as you guys know my brother and um, two other guys have formed a band called Kneecap in Belfast mm. and they've started mm. rapping in Irish which is something first of all that's something that hasn't been done before but it's not so much just the fact that they're doing it in Irish it's mm. the fact that they're talking about things that weren't really getting talked about before yeah. um, things that are there anyway mm-hmm. and it's just something special like because they're really just being there's no filter there it's not yeah. filter it's being the voice of the people it's so important to be that and I think one of the things about kneecap is that like that, well they've tapped into something that hasn't been done before properly you know that there's definitely they've tried to maybe rap in Irish but or do things but not in that like they're they're as far as I'm concerned they're real hip hop that they're keeping it real so like I don't I don't know these guys I've just seen, seen stuff online and I've been listening to stuff and I'm like but I feel, I feel it's real you know what I mean where they're coming from what they're saying is reality I think that's you know music like that is timeless. You know, I think a lot of people just try and jump on bandwagons and make stuff that doesn't, you know, have anything to say. I think the thing about me and Shimon do is we're quite conscious about what we're... Do we have a message? What's the point in doing this unless we have a message? Yeah, we started off making a really cool tune that was fun and a party tune, but it still had a message in it. And then it became obvious to us that music really needed a strong message and we needed to have a vibe. 
Oh, we need it to be about something that adds to society or adds to the world or, you know, that people can resonate with. Otherwise, it's like, you know, it doesn't really mean a lot of much and, and you can be left with an empty shell at the end of a career. You know, what did you, what did you bring to the world? Mm. Right. You know? Contributions. So what is the message of my voice then? The message is love, man. That's the message. That's simple. That is the message. And, that, you know, you, you, I, there's many ways of telling it. You know what I mean? But it's like, you got to love one another, you know, and, and it's about bringing people together and breaking down barriers. And that is the message. There's no other message, really. I mean, there's probably plenty of little messages. <laughs> but, you know, there's many ways to say it. As, you know, I'm, I'm kind of repeating myself here, but, yeah, it's, you know, it's, we, we all need to kind of be, you know, good to one another in the world and love one another. And I think that's the only way forward. And it, it feels like there's a lot of people in the world that don't have that philosophy and are doing things to other people and you know we're inspired by the daisy age thing tell us all had a massive influence on a lot of stuff we're doing because they were just about peace love and harmony and that's so, kind of what we're about is it you, you guys can comment on this um if you want to but it seems that like you guys are doing something that is true to yourselves that you just believe in it and therefore it's again kind of has hasn't really got a big filter you're not trying to put something into a formula whereas probably most other people are and yeah. that seems to be a big difference maybe yeah I feel like at the end of the day like pretty much is how how well these people can sleep at night knowing that they're like poisoning people poisoning minds and then like on the other side of it, it's like we sleep well because we know like our whole mission is to to build things and not destroy things and like create vibes and not break them down. So that that would be definitely what I have to say about that one. You know that that should that can apply to anything in life, really. If you're it can. It's any simple, job or anything, science like <laughs> if it's, that's life philosophy right there. You know, we're definitely kind of philosophical type characters. You know, we're very much like if you do something. We've got to believe it, and we've also, you know, we're not. And if we're creating something, it's we're, we're it needs to be created in the right way. And even if you can't see what's in front, what, what we put in front of people, we need to make sure the back end and the back side of it is, you know, is done right. You know, so it's because we you can't see it doesn't mean it shouldn't be done correct. That's know? such a strong message just yeah. for life. I remember I mentioned this before on the podcast as well, but with the gym and actually I mm-hmm. started that five years ago this year. And at the start, I was kind of saying, right, this is what everybody's saying you need to do if you want to have a successful business or whatever. And like two years in, I was like, what the? I was like, what am I doing? I was like, I don't, I don't, like, I don't even like being here anymore. Like, it's not that I, I did like being there sometimes, but not as I didn't love being there every yeah. minute the way that I do now. Yeah. And I noticed like I had loads of debt because I was after starting a business. And then I was like, well, I can't stop doing it because I have to pay back those debts that I have for the yeah. business. So, from now on I'll just do it the way that I want to do it and mm-hmm. it just turned into something completely different like I want to be there way more and feel way better about myself yeah. people feel better being in there and yeah. then and that's kind of we're doing the gym jam man on um on our Saturday with you guys which is yeah, like yeah. another thing where I was just like this is the kind of thing that should be happening yeah I think you got to love what you do you know like, a, like a, I kind of come across all people who do things that they don't love or have kind of said to me oh you should be doing this or you should be doing that and I'm like well if I don't really enjoy doing it why should I do it you know I mean I don't mind I mean there's a a whole heap of stuff where you can go out and work and and make money and survive and that's totally cool but then when it comes to something you're passionate about you feel really strong about you've got to love that you know I don't think you can compromise that 
maybe maybe I'm spoiled. Maybe I'm I'm a lucky person to be in that situation. But I think if you're for me, music has always been about just doing what you love, you know. And that's never been about an end financial goal or like trying to, you know. Yeah, of course, we want people to come to our gigs, but like it's never been about right. We're gonna if we do this and that, it's gonna equate to this, you know. It's, it's been like let's just make music, let's enjoy it, let's have a good Genuine time, music. you know. And if people other people like it, then that's a bonus. But ironically, if you're doing something that you love doing, you spend more time at it, so you get way better at it. And do, yeah. more people come and they do, see. yeah, they do. You know, I mean, um, we definitely have known that. And since we've been working together about two years now, and we've watched it kind of grow, and you know, it's definitely you know if you. It's going the Kevin Costner movie. You build a table cup, <laughs> but like you know, they they're starting to come, so that's good. You know, and sometimes it te- it's not you know, success is not an overnight thing. Very few people can make it make it like overnight, and if they do, they usually put the work in years in advance, and it only seems like they've made a success overnight. You know, mm. it's very rare that that's someone true. just comes out of the blue and blows it. You know, they've definitely had the work got put put in for years, so. You know, I think you've you've got to come to terms with that with music. You've got to just be like, you know, I've got to hone my skills, hone my craft, and and bide my time till till people are ready for it. Or you know, the timing's right. It's all about timing. Yeah, you know? can we go on the fast food Mart route? How did you guys get together? <laughs> yeah. Yes, is that best? Well, yes, is that best? This, you're gonna get a lot of those today. <laughs> but like, um, yeah, we were in it back last night. We were, we were at the launch of the Ministry Sound. Just launched a new club. I said members club in, in just at the back of their main club. So um, yeah, I went to bed early last night. Some some other people in the room maybe had a, a slightly late, later night. We I just didn't go to bed at all. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, there you go. Um, so I will answer that question, and I will say. We met through about five people that we know randomly. Like, I was looking for a rapper. I was we were working with another producer, Misk, also known as Gucci Cortez, who's a very talented gentleman indeed and a valued member of the the squad, the, the Bon Voyage squad, because it's more than just the two of us, actually. Oh, yeah. Lots of people coming and going and getting involved, which is mm-hmm. great. So we, we worked with a... We have a mutual friend, DJ Wool. He was living in San Francisco at the time. And... He, he recommended that we should speak. Also, Leo from the Awesome Agency um, was on it. Spoke Matumbo, who's a rapper from South Africa that Shimon had worked with, um, that I knew through Glenn. And then um, I was just thinking about the other two. It was Gino as well. Oh, that's right. What subtitle. 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 I met Subtitle in um, Berlin. And Subtitle is like, right. a, like a seven-foot rapper from America who's, interestingly, part Italian, uh, like Shimon. Yeah. Shimon's actually part Sicilian. Yeah. Um, so, this is, so Gino and I had a, had a whale of a time hanging out in Berlin, and he recommended Shimon to me, and had I mentioned me to Shimon at, at, at some point. And someone else, I can't remember, I'm forgetting who the fifth person is. There was another the fourth you know, so there was a fifth person and anyway so all these people were like saying oh you should meet this guy you should meet this guy you're on a similar buzz you're on a similar buzz and it had been going on for a while and then we recorded this track and I contacted Glenn Glenn was like here just get in touch with this guy hit him up put us in contact and that. the rest kind of started from there really now he's in love yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly especially when he doesn't come home at night <laughs> <laughs> nah joking 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 so Sean how come you're part Sicilian? How come? <laughs> or break it down. My, my uh, basically, my grandparents 
moved over to New York from there during some time of conflict, I'm sure, and just basically like set up their whole living situations in New York and started having kids. And then somewhere along the line, they had my grandma, my grandma had my mom. <laughs> yeah. And so I've done a bit of research today. I found out you were born in Japan. That's right. So how, how did that come about? Mama was a combat boot wearing ass soldier. Had me there. She was uh, stationed to a base in Kanagawa, Japan, which is pretty much like prefecture that holds Tokyo, Yokohama, Yokota, all those ones. And um, yeah, basically just was there. And so right around the time I finished school, so my pretty much cultural experiences, artistically and musically, really came into fruition growing up in Japan. How, do you have brothers and sisters? I have, yeah, I have a brother. And um, what was it like growing up in Japan? Um, it was cool. My mom was actually like really cool about everything because she was like pretty much a young parent. So she always like encouraged me and my brother to like go out and get involved with what's going on. Don't just like, people like, I guess we would be considered what people in America call military brats. Cause like most people's parents that I went to school with were like um, children of soldiers or like some type of diplomatic status thing. So um, basically my mom was telling us like, don't stick around the base, just basically uh, run out, go hop on the train, get lost, go like figure out some stuff go learn some stuff. And that was pretty much the way for us growing up, just like ultimately out exploring culture. And can you speak Japanese? Not now. Like I can understand a lot of it. And like when I'm around, like I definitely pick it up. It's like one of those languages, like if you don't exercise it, like on the regular, it will just like evaporate. But then on the same token, once you start exercising, it's like muscle memory just comes right back. So from Japan then, did you develop your sort of love for hip-hop in Japan? I did, actually. I did. I developed my love for hip-hop while being there. And also, my uncle was actually a rapper, like a pretty successful rapper during the 90s. So just knowing like what he did during that time and then fast forward to my time of getting into music and exploring and finding interest and stuff like I pretty much use his career kind of as like a guideline for what I was doing because it was like the most relative artist that I could think of firsthand that I actually had some sort of relation in real life. So like a real life hero type vibe. So it was like I would pretty much see the things he did and like measure success by the things that he did. So pretty much my all my ambitions since a kid were pretty much like shooting for the goals that he had laid out already and trying to just like measure up to what he was doing and be better it's interesting because uh when i met him on he told me chili b was his uncle i was mind blown because this record he made is one of my favorite hip-hop records of all time menace to society like absolutely it was on alternative tentacles which is the label of jello by afro from the dead kennedys who's also shaman's Godfather, nah. who's an absolute musical genius and legend, 
as well. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was just like, whoa, because it's like one of my favorite hip hop records. So it was, it was one definitely something that really made me go, wow. Yeah, I thought he was joking until he like was like, nah, here's the records right here. He had the records. And when he called you? Yeah. <laughs> like, nah, man, this ain't for real. But it's crazy. <laughs> so what, what is where you when you moved back to America? Did you move back to Brooklyn? I did, I did. I moved to, I went to Texas for a really, really, really quick second, and then I went off to New York and started studying fashion. And then I was there for the next years before moving off to LA. And what, what kind of way did you study fashion? Like what, how did that? I, um, basically, fashion. I, um, I study. My major was uh, trainers, actually footwear. And uh, my minor was handbags, so I basically was studying footwear and all types of leather manipulation and processes for that stuff. Which is really useful when you're making merchandise for a band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you make a lot of merch, and Shimon designs a lot of clothes that we've worn and used. And would it be right to say that you guys are both absolutely in love with trainers? Yeah. 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 Well, we, he just purchased these ones the other day in Nike Town in Oxford Street. We both had the eye on these ones. They're like, yeah, it's a quick strike camo safari, like Desert Storm print that uh, we both are mad about. Because Shimon just picked out a jacket and customized the Desert Storm jacket the other day, so he, he was mad to get the trying yeah, to look up on that. You know, it's a fun adventure. It's like I know, even though the internet exists, it's nice to admire things on the internet, but it's still nice to find a joy and like actually getting out on the physical hunt to like look for stuff then especially when you got your fam that's like on the same tip so you just like out on missions like looking for stuff to tangibly like scoop up and bring back instead of like sitting back and zooming in on the internet and like waiting for the postman to come it's like less fun they are nice runners they are nice they're in hand we've got some mutual friends in Cork um, Alex and Josh and Sam and all the kind of Talos crew and I think we've started a little fire with Sam anyway <laughs> Sam is like Sam's got completely he's got the, the goo and I'm feeling a little bit guilty about it because I'm like I can see where it's yeah, going you know <laughs> like, he's created an obsession yeah he's like you know, he, but the thing is like if any of those boys ever asked me I deliver straight away there's, yeah. no, there's none of like they're like I need a pair of trainers if I haven't got one in my hand I'm getting them the link yeah, to get one right. straight away yeah so you know just, we're gonna, I think we're going to have a a lot to answer for in a, in a short while. I was hanging out with Alex yesterday and he was wearing a pair of customized no hair. Uh, oh, I customized those for him actually. So there's like a no above the air and a hitch before the air. Funny, you peep that detail. It's all about the details, man. Add a little fine detail to that thing. Mm. Yeah. So then how did you get into hip hop I mean I mean, I, I mean hip hop I'm got into music just at a very young age I guess it's like there's lots of different connections for me I got, my mum is a singer and my, and my uncle were like trad Irish singers in Westmeath she's from Tyrell's Pass so they're very much a traditional style Irish family who love singing together you know everyone sings at functions it's for classical Irish style my mum was a really good singer actually as well and she did a bit of travelling and 
So, so she's always I've always had that kind of musical note in my ear from from being a baby. My granny was very musical on my dad's side. My dad's from South Africa. He's South African Indian, and obviously there's a, within the Indian culture is a huge amount of music. Everything's music related, you know, the movies and Bollywood, the whole thing. So they're constantly obsessed with listening to music. So you know, there's definitely like a lot of factors like that. And then my sister was a bit older than me. She was into dance music before I was into it, and she kind of like was hanging out with all the DJs and you know people who were heads from the scene in Dublin she definitely introduced me to that side of things but I think like for like listening to people like Public Enemy when I was in school oh, I met yeah. a kid called Ronald Lancaster who's like a, a kid from Australia who was his mother had moved to Dublin and he, well, he invited me around to his gaff one day after school I was like come down and listen to these, these you know these, these these albums I have it's rap music and all and it was like <laughs> and he had like NWA Anthrax and, and like oh, Public man. Enemy and he just had like he had this black beanie with an NWA on it and he was just like <laughs> putting on his head and he was like shit you know, and he's like he's just banging out all the, all the swear words and the records and his mum's going no 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 was it like a cassette or a probably a cassette <laughs> probably a cassette you know like it was amazing and I was just like I must have been about like 12 or something 11 or 12 and I just remember thinking Damn, <laughs> I need mean, I mean in on this. I, I just got straight to public enemy then. It was my, I got to meet um, Hank Shockley a couple of years ago, and uh, we got on really well with him. And then he ended up coming to my gig that night and seeing me DJ. But he didn't tell me he'd, he'd come. He just paid in the door, came in, sat in the back room, listened to the entire set, and then I didn't even think he was there. And then I, just as I got off stage and I was coming backstage. Uh, there was a knock at the door and he walked in he goes that was great so I just listened to the whole set it was amazing lovely to, lovely to hear the sounds all that you know so I was like you know I was kind of obsessed with with the public enemy sound and I think for me they just kind of epitomised you know public enemy really epitomised the whole feeling of a, of a of a movement which I still think think I don't know if a lot has changed essentially since then really that yeah. that they see, that's the same same stuff seems to be happening it doesn't, it doesn't need to be changing it feels like it's gotten you know maybe it's, I don't know if it's worse or, or as bad but it's still there and still strong but they really stood for it really opened people's eyes and kind of maybe changed a good deal they really fought for it they really fought for it you know and it really, it really felt like a movement you know and it really felt like right you know this is the this is the youth talking here this is the future yeah. talking here you know listen to us you know yeah. um, but like yeah I got really into them bought all their music obsessed with Chuck D obsessed with the kind of the way they put out their messages and you know that led me into, you know then I was getting into like techno then as well which so I was obsessed with underground resistance and they're very similar type of setup you know very you know the underground resistance will be getting dropped they're reminiscent of the Black Panther movements you know there's definitely elements of those movements that they've incorporated into it but they're like you know, I heard a funny story about like the, the you know, you are, you know, getting investigated by the IRA, or not by the IRA, by the, the FBI because somebody, <laughs> by the IRA, so yeah. someone, somebody said the facts and submerged distribution in Detroit saying, saying the IRA supports underground resistance. And, and they had a visit from the FBI because they obviously trace their faxes and emails and yeah. it goes on. So they like, they got a, a visit from the FBI and the FBI like looked into them. They looked like a paramilitary, the looked like a paramilitary organization. Everything's militarized. They've got doctor doctrine. They've put out statements like it's like their military, but their their message is like, 
you know, fight the power, you know? It's, a, yeah. it's the same message. It's, about, it's also about programming. Don't allow yourself to be programmed into the system. Think for yourself. Form your own opinions. Listen to your own music. Create your own music. Don't buy into the bullshit that people are feeding exactly. you. Exactly. You know, which is... America is, America is mad for that. The UK in, in Europe is mad for that. It's not as bad as America, uh, you know, but you, countries like Russia, they're mad for that. You know, it's like they program people. People don't see what's going on. They have no idea what's happening. You know, so... Yeah, probably more and more with the so, smartphones and apps. Oh, yeah. So easy to do it. Face tag and so easy to do it. You know, I mean, that, it's been going on in the news obviously for like the last few years. With that, with that they've just been, you know, obviously rigging elections and you know, you know, promoting certain things. So that's you know, when I listen to music on the radio, that's rubbish. I think all that is is a product of programming. It's not about actually going out and making a piece of music that you love and that you feel. It's about programming and putting it in the right places and taking up the right marketing and, you know, getting all the right people who won't play the really good music or they won't play this side of, sort of music. Because at the end of the day, if you play someone a beautiful piece of jazz from the, from, the, from like the 1940s or a piece of Polish jazz, three old jazz from the 1920s and then you play them some rubbish pop record, you know, they can see the quality. Yeah, you can see yeah. the difference. You know, it's like yeah. you feel the emotion in it, and you don't feel emotional. Well, unless the person is completely emotionally devout, devout and void of emotion, then I understand that. But like, you know, you just there's no difference. Our classical music is the most. It's the most amazing music you'll ever listen to because it's the detail and in it is unreal. And the craftsmanship that goes into the music and the, the way they write it and play it is just phenomenal. You know, so mm-hmm. you can't compare it to that. And anyway good music always moves you basically yeah. is what you're saying oh yeah it's just thanks for that man that's <laughs> 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 true though that's it's it it's true it does you know so that, I mean it's just you gotta, you gotta that's why I, I just want to hear music that makes me gives that warm feeling inside you know it's just a bit of a spark out of it you know it's just what's turning me down yeah you're right one good thing about music when it hits you feel no pain Hmm. <laughs> True, man. Word to Robert Nestle there. Cool. So did you just say Bob Marley? <laughs> <laughs> a band in America got investigated by the IRA, by the FBI because they they faxed the IRA. Some of the faxed them and I and faxed saying the IRA support underground resistance. Because <laughs> 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 they have like you know like Public Enemy have. Um, Public Enemy had Harry Harry Allen, media assassin. He's the spokesperson of Public Enemy, and he's a very intelligent man. Oh yeah. Uwar had a similar guy. I can't remember what the name was of him, but he had a similar guy who wrote all their their mandates. You know, because mm-hmm. they were and they put a techno and it was on yeah. militant style. But it was like you know they were talking about people like Rosa Parks mm-hmm. when I didn't know who Rosa Parks was. Mm-hmm. You know, and they were t- like, "This is you." But I was like 15, 15 I'm like, "Going who's Rosa yeah. Parks?" These guys are talking about her, and that's like a couple of years ago. You know, so they just had this very staunch military vibe going and I think Mike Banks who owned the Negro Resistance was in the, in the army he was ex-military and um, you know they just had this whole t- thing going on so yeah they just looked like they were a paramilitary organisation and I mean, they, you know this could be urban legend but I believe it to be true because I heard it from Eamon Doyle from D1 and Simon Conway mentioned it as well so they're pretty pretty solid sort of guys mm-hmm. you know it's mad. It's mad. You know? <laughs> Americans are mad. That's how it works. <laughs> Americans, you know, America, yeah. the American government is mad, I guess, you know, but, yeah. uh, you know, America, it's just mad in general. And do you guys want to talk about that? I'll talk about anything you want, man. Like, because it seems to be that the more, if music is something that's used to give people a voice, then it means that the more, say, 
obscure America becomes, the more important the music becomes because that's the people's voice and that's like the way that people express themselves away from the status quo. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, from, we were doing this hip hop show in London, Soho Radio today, and we were sitting there with Kish Cash, he's the radio host, a lovely guy, he knows his music, loves his hip hop, he's a, he's a dude. And he's just playing us like all this great hip hop. And I was like, dude, this is amazing to hear this music. Like, and I think, I was, you know, in Ireland, people don't even think this is hip hop. The stuff they're listening to is just over-processed stuff that is mm -hmm. really just pop music and they don't realise it. They think mm -hmm. it is hip-hop, but it's not hip-hop, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I mean, you probably know better than I would, really, though, because you live nah, in America. there's definitely a big, big divide, to be honest. It's like, it's become like a blurred thing of what it actually is. And then there's so many sub-genres that people create that don't actually need to be created in my opinion it just creates a divide it just creates separation in it but like everyone I feel like everyone has a story to tell and I think in the grand scheme of it it's all about like how you communicate or how convincing you are to tell that story whether it's a real story or something else it's definitely important you know yeah. to, have, to have like a, you know when, when there's so much um illusion going on mm -hmm. to have people who can voice reality you know one of our good friends George from Nightmares on Wax he's a great man for that you know he just you know he's about just pulling the curtains and letting the sun shine in That's and it. let's talk reality you know so anybody who's about that is is, is important to the world I think it, you know mm -hmm. it's, it's even more important when we're you know the media and you know the social media is all connected and rejigged to make you vote for Donald Trump or vote for Brexit or vote for, you know, against, you know, equality, you know, and, and re, you know, the, you know, the, it's just ridiculous, you know. I think it's really not fair. It's unfair. Yeah. Okay, I've only been in America once and it was only for like a really short time, like mm. five days or something. And that was about 10 years ago. But with Donald Trump on the TV, like America is getting a pretty bad rep at the minute. Like it looks like it's kind of crazy is it, does it feel like a racist place at the minute uh, it's me looking into it does, but it's definitely been, been the most racist in the life that I've lived and yeah. so far to be honest it's like people of color of any sort of color actually are afraid of the system because you could come up missing in the system really easy and it's like a lot of people have opinions from outside perspectives that aren't actually there and all they can speak upon is what they hear on the news or what they see on TV and then you have people that are actually in the field working that don't even watch TV or listen to the news they're just actively hands on deck trying to make a change so a lot of people voice opinions and think that oh Trump's doing great things or like oh he's doing way better than what Obama did but it's like easy for someone else to say that doesn't live in that country and that doesn't worry about like getting caught out somewhere turning a corner and getting snatched up by the cops for nothing getting stuffed in the back of a van and dropped off somewhere like they don't worry about those things because they don't hear about that they don't see that but we see it all the time we see homies come back all beat up or whatever missing teeth don't even know what happened they just like turned a corner said something wrong maybe and just got dumped in the back of a van and just like skipped town dropped off in the next town it's common it's mad yeah it's real 
that really sounds like the lead up to actually when the Black Panther Party was formed there isn't like the Black same, Panther Party for yeah, itself same sense. shit's going on it's just the way technology is and the way like people are people are afraid there are like a huge portion of people that are afraid to like stand up or afraid to support or afraid to express how they actually feel because they're afraid of repercussions from their peers or like someone else they may have to deal with but it's like that's not keeping it real to yourself even and that's like the core of the problem is people not feeling the freedom and the liberation of saying how they actually feel and instead like it's kind of just masked through social media people only say certain things because if they say one thing people are going to unfollow them or these people are going to like cyber bully them but it's like nah man if you're saying something genuine and your cause is like really genuine and from the heart like there's going to be people that are going to support it and stand for it like you won't be alone but it's like people don't realize that because they're just so used to like the judgment or thinking forward that someone's going to judge them for feeling the way they actually feel if that makes any sense yeah it does make sense I mean it is pretty mental though I feel, you definitely feel energy when you see and when you see like someone like Childish Gambino bringing out that record like that as much as it's like a massive commercial entity and he is a commercial entity and he's he's like a superstar pop star it's a real sign <laughs> you know it's a real like this is as big right. as it gets and this is the message that's been put out exactly hello you yeah. know I mean what's going on this is what's going on right you know it's kind of shocking but it's it's probably not shocking for people who are on the on the receiving end of it okay listen to that track actually about 10 times on the train up here yeah uh, just um, because I wanted to ask you guys about American stuff and about, mm-hmm. is that a is that kind of a common the way that it's portrayed in, in that video is that the way a lot of people are thinking today pretty much it's mm-hmm. like a modern depiction of the way people see it and I guess that's the reason why it was so like such a like shock value thing for people because they seen it as shocking but really is very true like it's actual like a reality someone's reality it is and that's what's mad about it I think you kind of you have this whole side of people who just go yeah that's it's like me coming from South Africa going yeah people get shot yeah, yeah, I've seen people get shot. Yeah, yeah, I've seen people get murdered. Yeah, that's what happened. Said exactly, yeah. And then you have people who are like coming from places that they're just going, what the hell's going on? Mm-hmm. Is, this, is this really happening? Yeah, it is happening, but no one talks about it, you know? It's hidden, you know? It's, yeah. it's masked. It's like, you know, Fox News. It's like, you know, you know, the media is definitely manipulated to control what you think, you know? You don't even realize it because you're so programmed in. But like, it does happen, and that was a, that was a mad thing for me talking to Shimon about it. Just him, just going, well, that's that, this is this is obvious to me. Where people over here are going, wow, this is mental to me, you know. So it's, that's quite shocking in itself to see that reaction more than the actual song. For it's me. quite ironic in the sense that it's a social media age, but people mm-hmm. are a little bit more disconnected in a lot of yeah. ways, and that they're just getting loads of information that isn't true as opposed to getting exactly. It's easier to control people when you have them in one space. Mm-hmm. That's the key. It's a, the, the, like the internet is like the third eye, you know. When when you, you look at like people like Nostradamus's, you know, predictions of the future, whether you want to believe them or not, he's talking about you know, you know, reaching the age of Aquarius and having this kind of third eye mm-hmm. opening up. Well, essentially, the internet is the third eye because it gives you the information globally within seconds. But 
when, when you have something like that connected it's much easier to control everything then especially if it's digital and not actually a, a physical third eye you know exactly. what I mean I've actually experienced that thing you're talking about when people are really surprised that something is happening even in Ireland because we still have the Orange Order in Belfast and they've just done their 12th of July marches and they're an organisation based on hate essentially like, yeah. and, and that's still going on only it's like an hour and a half up the road it's shocking here. what's going yeah. on up there yeah it's insane and so but your your dad must have it must have been a rough time for your dad in South Africa at the time because South African Indians were yeah. discriminated against him yeah I mean yeah I mean my dad was in the ANC so he, he was his you know he was involved in the ANC as a young man and then he was the youngest in his family um, and he wanted to get out and they all chipped in and got him a ticket to the UK basically um, as did a number of people they'd send one of the children from the family to go abroad if they could they, well not many people probably could have afforded it but some people could and they, he got ed- educated in London and he used to work he was a road sweeper you know and he was he went to college and he had a great time I think and then he moved to Ireland and but he you know his, he doesn't really talk an awful lot about it like but it's, a lot of it you don't probably maybe it's difficult to talk about those things as you probably know coming from the north or you do from coming from you know America when you know anything kind of that goes down you, it's not something you want to be breeding into your children you know it's, you're definitely bringing them in a different direction you know but um you know, it's like, yeah, he's definitely seen some interesting things, you know, but even in my experience of going to South Africa, if you, you know, during apartheid or, you know, after apartheid and just what, how much of a mess that place has become or how tough it became, you know, it's just mind blown. But yeah, my dad's probably been through a hell of a lot, you know, in his time, but he, you know, that's why they never went back, you know, they came to Ireland, they were like, you know, this is a hell of a lot better than where we're from. But then his cousin went back, he took a seat in Parliament, he was heavily involved, um, Babu Beju, I think his name is, and uh, you know, so I think you know, they went back and they, you know, it was hard for them. <laughs> I mean, even then, even though the players were down, it was still hard, you know. It's like it's, it's a weird situation that you, you just know there's no right and wrong solution, it's just we have to, they just have to stumble through it and get through it and figure it out. It, just, it was never going to be easy, uh-huh. you know. Um, but yeah, it's tough. It was South Africa is definitely a tough place, you know. We yeah. kind of, it was weird going there during a party because my mum was obviously white, but we also look a little bit white. So we're probably considered more white than we would be Indian in South Africa, you know, to a certain degree. Yeah. Like, um, but like we, we went during a party, we had to be smuggled into like my uncle's house and stuff. What year was that? I'd say this was going to be like um, so pre. Pre the you know Mandela's pre pre apartheid you know so I, I don't know I can put a day in it really but but um I just remember we had to be like smuggled in and be like not in back of cars and all that stuff to Uncle's house and we had to stay indoors we couldn't go out and then like then if we're out in public we had to walk fifteen feet behind my mum we couldn't you know we were probably only small children so it was pretty bit odd for us you know yeah so there was definitely I'm sure there was definitely my parents are definitely the type of people who would have you know hit us from or trying to be protected us from any any of the mad stuff that would have been going on but I'm sure there was lots of situations that they they, they came across you know in, in their life where they you know the type of people would definitely be like you know they brush things off and go you know move on you know I guess it's like which is which is good I'm the type of person who doesn't do that I'm the type of person who probably goes the opposite way and it's yeah. like why you know if it's interesting like like it's yeah it's mad but I guess racism is the thing that you kind of you know, when you have, when you're a person of color, even if culturally, you're like even as an Irish person, if you, you get discriminated against, you know, I think like, you know, there's definitely it's still something that just goes on today. It's not something that that, that seems to be going away fast. It's not as bad. It changes and it morphs into different things. But people's exactly. understanding and knowledge of it, you know, it's real like, you know, 
you know, it's, it's, you know, it's just like something that will hopefully improve, but it's mm-hmm. not something that happens to changes overnight. You have to learn, you know, there's a whole thing about, you know, people, people say, oh no, but like, I, I didn't mean it, it was just a joke, or you're taking it too seriously. Yeah. But if you're a white person saying that to someone who's a black person, or a, a Chinese person saying that to someone who's a white person, or whatever it is, you're never going to understand what it's like, you know, so you're actually that person, you know, so you can't call a judgment on that, no. you know, and you can't decide what how someone feels. You know, whether you know, that comes to it can be anyway, any whatever religion or whatever, or you know, color or race or whatever you want to do. You know, it's, just, yeah. it's discrimination. You know, and you don't decide what other people, how other people should feel because of what you're saying to them. You let let them decide. Yeah, it's just respect, it's, man. Yeah, you know, I mean, it does. Right there. If once you experience it, you you know the end thereafter. What it yeah. feels like for other people. My dad actually went to South Africa um, and made a documentary um, in South Africa on the, the connection between the Republican movement and yeah. the ANC. And, there, and he, the stories he was telling there, like a lot of it was based on fear. Like they were saying, you can't go down that, that street. But then he said, him and one of his friends at night time went down into the township and just partied all night, mm. drinking some kind of... Moonshine. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Like some white drink that was oh my God. very, no, very no, heavy. That's crazy. That drink. Do you know what it is? It's, I think it's called Kishlamba. <laughs> and if you drink too much of it, you go blind. <laughs> <laughs> they have this drink over there where they're like, they get like, a, they get like an oil barrel and they put batteries in the bottom of it. And then they put bread in, in there and they put like raisins in there and they put water on it and they leave it and it creates an alcohol. I don't know if that's what he was drinking. It, but like, uh, they have all sorts of like get out, get out alcohols over there because they had to you know essentially yeah, yeah. it's like DIY what are sure. they going to make like right. yeah probably more dangerous than potching <laughs> potching is pretty legal I mean like, potching can make a blend as well though yeah potching is mental you know yeah, we used to, my, my grandfather great cavern man god rest his soul um, you know big big GA man I've, I, like I've got my family are big into the GA and uh, <laughs> he used to they used to rub potching on our our soles of our feet and our chest when we were kids and this stuff was probably like you probably couldn't feel a rocket going that's how you were so tall yeah you were just grabbing away from you know um, but it's, it's the interesting connect, I mean one of the interesting connections between you know the Irish Irish Republican movement and the ANC um, the African National Congress is that he, the reason my dad ended up in Ireland and his cousin and all his friends Misa Bamji served on Mandela's uh, um, uh, was it Misa Bamji? Well, I can't remember which, what, what the guy's name is sorry right now but like any one of the guys who served on Mandela's council was um, you know and they all ended up in Ireland because of that connection you know and they, were t- they came to Ireland because there was, my dad said there was a lot of spies in London when they lived there mm-hmm. and because it was still part of the British Empire so there, mm-hmm. so there were spies everywhere and then they got this call from Ireland to, if any, any Irish people who were had any interest in it were like come to Ireland we, you know we're, we're mm. going to wait we're going to be at the airport welcoming you and they arrive in the airport there's people there to welcome them in so the, my dad's going to a dinner in, in Blanchardstown um, at the weekend and it's to celebrate Mandela's birthday you know with the African National Congress there's a, the and the anti-apartheid movement in Ireland you know there's a huge history and it's definitely something there's, 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 there's such a strong bond between the two countries because they both understood the struggle you know yeah. and what it's like to be you know to become from a place where you're, you're being controlled you know so yeah there was just this beautiful bond and that's why a lot of these guys came to Ireland and married Irish women and you know and they've and they've moved on but it, it, weirdly I think I like 
I think now it's more racist now. I find it more racist now than it was then. No, Ireland. Ireland. <laughs> it's really weird because I think it's just a general thing. I think it's. I think it's a lot. Of, I think it's sub, the subliminal, you know, control of the media and the control of like social media, where you're led to believe things or feel yeah. things, and you know, like people get really easily manipulated, and you know, you have all this like Brexit right wing stuff going on in the UK and America, and you're, and you're thinking. You know, it's making people angry. You know, Trump is making people angry and making Real people believe. Racism. Yeah, it's just like you know, it's definitely feel it over here a little bit. You know, there's it's definitely that kind of anti. Down, huh? It's all with the vibe. It trickles down. It trickles like down. You know, bug biting people and they just carrying it on. I mean, the like, stuff about building the wall with the, with the Mexicans, man, it's right. the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. It's so, it's it's horrible. Beyond that, like you know, taking away kids from their families I mean, and like storing them away and like, come on, it's bro. brutal. It's brutal, man. I mean, like, what is like, all right that's about the dicta- that? That's just the dictatorship stuff that you'd expect right. from. You know the Nazis. You know that's yeah. that's the sort of about the Nazis to do. These people are like coming out with these outlandish statements, and you know, and it's and it's confusion. And there's lots of like you will see someone like Trump, and he'll say something, and then he'll contradict himself later that day. And yeah. that's the way you control people. You confuse yeah. them. You don't know whether they're coming or going. Yeah. And he's you're catering to all sides. People are taking what they want from it. There's no like the thing about Obama. You know, whether you like the structure of the American government or not, you were getting one message. You know, mm. you know, and you were getting one, and even like. The bushes were almost better than him, you know. Like, I can't believe I'm saying that, you know. Seriously. You know, like I mean, I know, you know, there's a lot of people dissing Hillary Clinton and all these people, but the system is definitely a fault. It's not yeah. set up for the people. Yeah. Most right. governments aren't set up for the people, you know. They're just no. set up for business and they're run as businesses, but for the people who are making the business, I guess I don't know. But like, you know, it just doesn't feel. I felt America didn't have much option, and they. The confusion just sent them down the wrong path. You know, people thought it was a joke until shit got real. Mm. Yeah, like what you said there about Ireland having connections with other countries that have had struggles or country yeah. country struggles. That that was definitely a big part of our childhood, in that we were taught about South Africa and um, the Basque Country and mm. Palestine as well. So I've been to Palestine in March this year, and I'm going back. I'll, I'll be going back uh, in two weeks, really. Um, by the time this thing comes out. And over there, you can see how much of an influence America has from a business point of view. Really? They have a lot of business interests out there to keep really? Israel going. They have, you know, like Israel is like a friend to America mm-hmm. in that part of the world. And even off the coast of Gaza, where they have a blockade, you know, they say the blockade of Gaza is for security reasons. But what they don't say is that there are massive oil companies taking out all the oil or, or just off the coast of Gaza and if you're a fisherman and you try to fish those those waters you're gone wow. straight away which is something that I actually, actually never heard of before I went over there which is one of the reasons I, I wanted to go there just that's to, why America have interest in any country because of the oil and the, yeah. and the minerals it's colonialism on a grand scale you know there's no difference you know and that's why they have the biggest military and that's why they are in these countries wreaking havoc you know that's a perfect example of the selective information that they communicate and send through it's like they're picking the information to like share with the people they're skipping out the like important mm. shit like that it's kind of brings it back to where we started that when when we were growing up we always were told that or learned or thought from the stories that the back in the ancient times like the poet was the person who's going to come out and say it how it is mm-hmm. they're the one who have the the real news mm. and i think it's pretty accurate still like that the artists are the people who aren't really you know they're not being paid by the government 
No. So they can say whatever they want. Like, no. But the way we are saying whatever we want right now, I guess. I mean, the, I mean, some of the artists probably are being paid by the government. You know, they're probably like, <laughs> like the ones that are like, you know, like they are, you know. Like, so I think you know, it's just you know, I think as an artist, you should you should have a, an opinion. You know what I mean? I think a lot of these pop acts just stop and refuse to have opinion. You know, they always shy away from it. And half the time they're not educated. You know, I'm not, pro- I'm not professing to be the most educated person in the world, but I've got an opinion and I, and I, and I, and I try and see things for what they are. And I'm willing to go, do you know what? This isn't right. This isn't good for, for the people or this isn't a great position to find ourselves in. You know, do something about it, speak up about it. And I think, um, Definitely, that you know, there's a lot of people who are feeling that and speaking about it. You know, whenever I started listening to music first, Christy Moore was one of the people. I was, I was a legend. He like who was Christy Moore. He's oh, like a, nice. you know, you know Christy Moore. No. He's like an Irish folk singer, but he sang for the people. He was singing about things that you wouldn't read about in the news, and mm. the way you said about Rosa Parks, yeah, mm. that you hear about that through music and oh, in Chile. Like they had a singer called Victor Hara. I don't know if you ever heard him, but when no. Pinochet was having a dictatorship, he was rounding people up and putting them in the uh, football stadium Victor Hara whipped out his guitar and started singing and uh, so they they just they smashed his guitar then he started singing just as singing and then they, they ended up cut his hands off and electrocuted him because he was he, he was still like putting the voice out there for the yeah, people yeah. keeping the people company it's, I mean because uh, the musicians don't only tell the truth I mean it's, 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 it's a horrific story man you know, that, there's a, so many of those stories with, with music people I've worked with this producer a DJ from Poland 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 called DJ Crime Wojtek Duglosh he's a classically trained musician violin player jazz fanatic but he's also like a turntablist amazing turntablist hip hop guy brilliant but he was like when I went to, went to do some gigs with him in Poland years ago I stayed at his parents place in, in, in Krakow and I went in and he was like his parents didn't speak English and his dad was an amazing piano player and we were just having a chat about it you know and I was like how did he start and all and they were like well he didn't. He, he start. He was. He was a, like a phenomenal. He was a political a, po- a poet, piano player. So he like he would say, sing poetry or say, speak poetry and play the piano at the same time. But obviously, it's the way they get the message out. But when the when the, when the Soviet Union controlled Poland, they banned him. So they took his pianos off and took it. They were they, they spied on him. So he told me that he, he he told me that he's he used to play the piano for like ten years. He didn't play. He wasn't able to play a piano or touch a piano or write music. He wasn't allowed. He used to write music and hide it under the floorboards because they'd come sometimes come and raid the gaff because you know to keep an eye on him. And um, he also used to play the piano in his mind. He wrote the music in his mind. Uh. Close his eyes, visualize the keys, and that's how he kept himself fresh in his mind. Uh. I was like, Wait, what, what is, is he? Wojtek, uh, I think it would be. His dad must be about seventy now, you know. So um, I'm not sure what what, what period. How old he was when that, when that was going down, but I was just—it was a mind-blowing story to hear. You know, That's nice, he went ten years without touching the piano, and piano was what you were famous for. You know, yeah. what you were known for, and that they know. You know, because they know that that you're bang on. You know, that that, that guy in, in in Chile during the Pinochet regime. You know, the, they spread the, the word spreads fast. You know, you see it in London with the grime, with grime or you know, the modern kind of urban music. Mm-hmm. You know, those guys have got messages, you know. Storm Hack Baker, he likes this new kid called Hack Baker, and he talks at talks at real. You know, he's I've got kind of, friends of mine now. I'm a group with him. My mate, mate Shay group with him, and he just has this reality. It's like he, he's like this the, the Clash, you know, but a modern 
you know, he's got African roots. He's, you know, he's London. He's exactly East London. Hates the police. Why does he hate the police? Because they treat him and his friends like shit, no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know, because of who they are, where they're from. You know, so, you know, it's a, he's a voice for the people. You know, you listen to his music, you get the stories and you understand it. And, you know, they're the people, they don't, they don't want speaking the truth. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. Do you remember your first gig? Um... Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to now, you know, like, it's funny, I'm trying to, my first gig, yeah, there's been a couple, you know, I mean, it's like, playing in the Temple Bar Music Centre was one, then I played in the, you know, did some, I was at, it was a random story, but I was at a Jamiroquai concert, and my my mate Market was Jamiroquai's bodyguard, but I knew him through my sister, he was the security guard from my sister's boyfriend, he was in a band at the time, and um he uh, anyway Mark was coming to Dublin working with Jamiroquai and he was like do you want to come to this concert you know because I'd met him and I was about 14, 15 and he goes yeah come down I'll switch out guest list come in I was, I'll just be me and my own he goes bring on as many people as you want I was like I'll just be me so I was in school the next day and I remember going um, going down and uh, watching the gig and then I was th- wherever I was sitting I was sitting with, with the, the two managers the, the tour manager and the manager Jamiroquai and I just sat there and just started chatting to them told them who I was and they, they'd known my sister and they knew Mark Mark mentioned I was coming down just started hanging out with them these like older dudes I don't think they thought it, they must have thought I was like 21, 22 and they were like yeah come on let's go I'm in a party you know, I'm in Louis Bordello then hanging out and it was the launch of the Jamiroquai world tour and uh, I'm sitting there and they have like the whole Japanese they had Sony Sony Records Japanese team flown in for a minute and they had like all the people from around the world from Sony and we're sitting next to the Japanese dudes and it's like I'm just talking to this he had this DJ called DJ Desire they'd introduce me to and I'm chatting away about music with him I'm like totally like I'm not shouldn't have been there <laughs> I mean like I should not have been in this situation and some guy came up to me and started chatting to me and was like oh yeah who are you and I was like I'm a DJ you should come DJ do a gig for me sometime man yeah nice one booked me to do some gig in the Bar Music Centre I got paid like 50 quid that was, which was like I didn't even have a full box of records <laughs> I had to borrow some records and I brought my mate in and we did the gig anyway so yeah that was I think that's one of the first ones that I ever did but there's been there's about, there's about three others that are kind of pivotal at the start of the career you know so that's one of the first ones I remember do you remember your first one? Mm. it was just uh, my first like no one really knew that I made music for like a long time so it's like made it in secret really I was really in secret but I just never told anyone for like years and then like I think it was like my 10 my 9 year I think I came out and I basically entered into a rap contest and it was like for school it was like a school rap contest and I won the rap contest that was like my first gig and then like guess just having all the uh having all the the props from the older kids kind of just like gave me this confidence to give that a stab again and just like be more out on the front instead of keeping it a secret so it just kind of gave me the confidence to enter more gigs it was mostly rap contests and battles for me when I started those were my first gigs are the battles when just two people start Wrapping up each other? Yeah, it could be two people, it could be crews, it could be like, yeah, it's, it's usually the whole crews against each other or individual MCs just going 
lodge for a lot or just back and forth. On stage or? Parking lot. Most of it, we weren't even really old enough to get in anywhere, so we just like be battling mostly in parking lots or parks or anywhere really. McDonald's even. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, where does where does the house music come into it then? Um, what for Bon Voyage? Yeah, and then um, where where did the the hip hop and when did hip hop and the house music start to intersect for you guys? I think for me it started intersecting in the in the late eighties, early nineties, you know. But I, I wasn't around obviously then, you know. But it was happening then, you know. And then I only really discovered it later. But like the, it was the whole. I feel like it's starting to head that way again because you have all this like hip hop crossing over but it's not really connecting massively with dance music and there's definitely room for what we're doing and we're like basically preempting a vibe you know and um, that could explode you know so there was that like you know you had all these like Doug Lazy and you know Fast Eddie and you know you know just lots of different rappers getting house remixes done and then it just turned into yeah. this whole scene in the 90s you know early 90s late yeah. like nearly 89 to 92 where it was just like this cross-pollination of like house music and hip-hop culture yeah. really you know and some of it was good and some of it was terrible you know so i think for what years and years fast forward to today the production is way better now you know we can oh, yeah. construct our music and make conscious records consciousness yeah. plays a massive part in, in music for us so is it you know to be able to listen to it and understand it and get a message from it so that's probably what was missing from it so now it's now now that's there hopefully people will start kind of getting into it but yeah that's when it started and for us it was always for me it was always about house music but working with you know getting rap over the top of it to make it more interesting in the mid 90s to 2000 I was about between 10 and 15 and it seemed to be was that kind of really concentrated in Dublin that 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 scene at the time in, in, the, in, the in, dance Irish, music scene. in Irish um, in the Irish context I mean the dance music scene was yeah but you had obviously you had Cork you had like Fish Go Deep doing Sir Henry's Sweat which is probably the longest running club in Europe at one point you know and definitely one of Ireland's longest running consi- most consistent club nights legendary club nights I may be running that stuff so, I mean when you talk to Greg and Shane they probably, probably tell you they probably did start DJing in the mid 80s you know, along with Mike Pickering who's doing the Hacienda in Manchester, you know, and they're on a very similar trajectory as as, as the Hacienda, I think, you know. But um, definitely, there was a huge explosion in dancing music, you know, uh, you know, from the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties, just exploded. Is that connected? Is it somewhat connected to the scene? Connected to the fact that drugs were widely available? Like I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I mean, I'm not too sure if it's if it's if it's the drugs that created the scene. I think it's the it's essentially a punk yeah. scene, you know, because it's anti-establishment. It was like we're, we're not into what everyone else is into. We need to create our own identity. Let's go for it, you know. Drugs happen to be there. Mm-hmm. Maybe drugs were decriminalized by you know Margaret Thatcher in the eighties in the UK, and the acid house scene kind of ramped up into the pop thing that it was. Maybe it might not have ramped up as much if that hadn't have been the case, but. It, I think it's. It doesn't matter, like you know, whether 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 drugs are involved or not. It was going to happen, you know, and it was it was about reaction to the system and you know breaking down the old ways and re, re finding a new path, you know. Mm-hmm. And there was expression and people needed something to express. It wasn't they weren't being catered for, mm-hmm. you know. It would have been the same over here, you know. You speak to people like Billy Scurry, Johnny Moy, Tony Walsh, Liam Dollar, Dave McDonald, Dave Hales, all these guys. I mean, there were it was an expression of how they felt you know and that wasn't being catered for and you know they you know it's even today it's still difficult clubs are closing down you know you have like 
all these great guys who are running, you know, like Sam Greenwood running Hangar and his crew, and you have like Martin and Neil up in District Eight and the boys. There's a big crew up there involved in that, and those clubs are closing down. You know, and being redeveloped into crap hotels mm. or apartment blocks that we don't need, considering there's a housing crisis going on in Ireland like nothing before. But shouldn't they be for homeless people? No, they're going to be for like people who don't necessarily need it as much. Right. You know, but um, so there's that's kind of it's weird. You know what I mean? It's like like you know Ireland's changing. You know, and so Neil Sharp is doing this whole give us tonight thing to try and reclaim. You know, club culture and give us later licensing laws and give us the chance to express ourselves to dance you know I guess and kind of have the opportunity to run like clubs that don't just last for three hours you know or a couple of hours and you can't make noise and you can't do this so <laughs> yeah it's an interesting time it feels like the cycle is starting is coming around again of the, you know like like we're talking about all this stuff that happened in America or you know the, you know where, with the way music is going and clubs being shut it feels like there's something to fight for again you know and that always creates the greatest music and the best scenes for me you know when I mean, a struggle their soul always has been always will be you know mm-hmm. so you know it's it's something to fight for how did you guys come up with She Bougie? Um, bougie is, is Bougie is like Bougie Bougie is basically like you know a description of you know someone who thinks they're it's a, you know, it's, it's it can be applied to anything, really, you know. But it's about like, you know, someone who kind of thinks they're better than you, but they're not, you know, really, you know. Anyone who thinks they're better than you is wrong. Theory complex. Yeah. I mean, it's a state of mind, you know, really, and you're kind of like, so it can be applied to anyone and anything, you know. So when you listen to the lyrics, it's like. You know, it's someone telling you to do this and do that, and you have to do this, and you, know, you have to keep with the Joneses, and you have to have this for me, and you have to do that. No, you don't. You don't. That's, that stuff's important, you know. It's a good message. It is a good message, yeah. you know. It is a good message, but yeah, you know, that's the, the essence of every good record is the understanding of a good message and a higher power, you know, within the message. So that's right. That's the key to, to it, you know. What process do you guys go through to, to create something like that? Um, we just we just bounce ideas off each other. It's as yeah. simple as that. We bring them to the table. Shimon basically is the wordsmith. I'm I'm the kind of the the melodic person, you know. And then we work with engineers who may help us piece it all together. So there's a whole process of like he's a poet, and then I'm a musician, you know, essentially. And we both bring different things to the table, and we're both good at critiquing stuff as well. So you know, I'm not afraid to critique. Shimon's work as much as he probably doesn't like love it. But you don't, you don't, oh my days! You know who doesn't know? You know, but he, you know, he he's makes you stronger. Makes you stronger. Yeah. But I think that's part of it. You know, if you if you got to argue over stuff sometimes to get it to that place where you both are happy about it. You know, yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> not all the time. Yeah. And sometimes you just nail it. You know, so that's it. It's done. The job's done and it's over. But like, you know, it's all all about like um, kind of you know, just bringing lots of different ideas to the table and, and, you know, we work with a lot of different producers. We've just done, done a track with Ashley Beadle coming out on Joe Wallace's label later in the year. You know, we've been talking to other different producers. We've worked with DJ Wall. We've worked with Basil Ranks. We've worked with Fishco Deep. We've worked with, you know, Dave Northern Ireland, this guy who's in Antrim, amazing producer. We've worked with a bunch of other people. working with Andy Bell from Ride. He was in Oasis as well. He's a, brilliant electronic producer um, and like we're always about working with other people mm-hmm. and, and freshening up the process because there is no the, and the answer the answer is that question is there is no particular way to make music or to come out stuff comes from everywhere it can come from 
the sky and just land right on top of you and you just like boom that's the idea you have it in a dream you could just pick up a pair of trainers and be looking at a tag and thinking oh that, you know so this is inspiring me to do so you just take inspiration from everywhere you know just absorb inspiration from everywhere I feel constantly mm. I think another big part of our process is like the organic build up of it all like we never really carry things over for the most part like we we literally like go to the studio with thoughts and ideas just like festering in the head and then we just break down the whole process from the instrumentation to the lyrics like right there in the in the moment so I think that has a lot to do with it just capturing the actual essence of what you want to communicate like right there I think it has a big it makes a big difference for me I know I don't know about for everyone else but just to have things like just fresh and instantaneous thoughts as opposed to writing something, thinking about it, and then going to the studio, matching it with some other production. Like, it just doesn't really feel so organic to me that way. I'm the kind of opposite that. I've basically conceptualized a lot of stuff in my head for time, you know? So I'm, like, thinking of these ideas and thinking of those ideas and then going in and making them. But it's a different process, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so there's no, no... Everyone's process is different, you know? And that's cool. You, you just got to, like figure out what works for you and make it yeah. and, and, and apply it you know and then hopefully that crosses over at a point mm-hmm. where you both are both happy you know yeah. so you know m- my job is to trick Shimon thinking thinking that's what I just made up on the spot here <laughs> <laughs> and he's like oh, I just made it up yeah it's how he made that up seven, six, ten years ago <laughs> the trickery a lot yeah you know so um yeah, it's about it's kind of like yeah, it's just it's just really just coming come, like take coming up with ideas and then just bring them in. I always have like a hook in my head that comes from somewhere or an idea and that's just going around in my head and I'm, I'm writing out about it and I just go back to it and then I'll bring it in and go, I want to try this. I want to, this is the type of vibe I'm going for and get it together. Yeah. You know, yeah. Have you guys been traveling around Ireland a good bit recently? We've done on your Instagram. Stuff? Yeah, we've been in a few different places. It's been interesting. So. We love Ireland, man. I, I, I'm Irish, obviously, but like, <laughs> I, I love getting around Ireland and seeing yeah. different things, you know, so. What have you just got coming up? Well, we're doing this gig for you guys, which we're very much looking forward to with Kneecap and there's like Stevie G and Lisa O and, you know, you know County Vinyl and lots of good core people. Actually, worth noting that when I was going around talking to a few of the people who were on the lineup and I was like, I was like thanks a million for when they're coming down to the gig and they're like if Arvine asks you to do something we just do it <laughs> <laughs> so you obviously have a lot of respect out there I mean let's put that on record wow okay yeah I mean damn I don't know yeah but you know I yeah that's cool I mean I'm going to start using that more often <laughs> but uh, no yeah I mean God I mean, I mean I've been yeah that's yeah it's lovely to hear that like basically I would never pull out into any, anyone into anything that I didn't think was right for them or worthy you know what I mean that's kind of I'm all about just bringing the right people together mm-hmm. maybe I can you know so it doesn't always work out but it's you gotta try man yeah so that's nice it's, it's gonna be good I'm really looking forward to it so I think it's a great cause and it's just it's Something that should shouldn't need to happen, weirdly. <laughs> That's the magic. Right? You shouldn't <laughs> have to have this. Right. It should be just we should be doing this just to send them off. Right. We shouldn't be having this to try and help them, but we're, this is what why we're having to do it. Why, you know? So there's definitely that's a whole other conversation, you know. For sure. But I'm delighted to be do be able to do it, you know, oh, yeah. to be part of it. Um and then what else we got? We're gonna we've got a, we're gonna be doing this, probably a show at Electric Picnic, we're doing Casa Palooza. 
Um, I'm sure we've got something else that's going to happen as well and I just can't take off the top of my head um, mm-hmm. yeah so that's really the, the main focus I think people should check out your Instagram as well get on the Instagram at Bon Voyage NYC um, on Insta and also at Chamancaset on Twitter and then we're on Facebook as at Bon Voyage NYC as well you can get me as Arvine A-R-V-E-N-E um, you know just get in touch with us reach out let us know how you're feeling what you want to talk about we're we're, all, we're open to, to, to chat just don't be calling me at 3 in the morning when you come to the door at 6.20am trying to get in the gaff you just you know what you're going to get <laughs> well, thanks a minute that's right no worries absolute pleasure man. Brilliant. much love man thank yeah. you all love man so yeah we'll, we'll speak soon out there same yeah. yeah man that's just swinging from uh Jungle Jams. Yeah. <laughs> Saturday night, 6 o'clock in Ackley, in Cork. Bon Voyage, Marcuset, Arvine, Stevie G, Lisa O, Kira Brady, Kneecap. It's going to be big. Class. Yes, that was class. So there you go. Episode 18 of the Rebel Matters podcast is in the bag. That was my first time doing a three-way podcast episode and a real pleasure to spend an hour and a bit with those two absolute legends. So I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks a million to Shimon and Arvine for taking the time out of their day to record this episode and also a massive thank you to Arvine's parents, his mom and dad, who I had smashing chats with in the kitchen after we finished recording this episode. Check Bon Voyage out on Spotify, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Check Bon Voyage out anywhere you can find them as usual leave us a five star rating and review on itunes and let me know that you're out there somewhere listening you can get in touch with me through facebook or twitter or through the Ackley website we're going to wrap up the episode with another track from the lads called don't tread on me this is an absolute belter of a track so enjoy it as the lads said spread the love skabagi and gra oguskajin keterala harja kenigi fire I get hot when you hit the jackpot. I get hot when you hit the jackpot. I get hot when you hit the jackpot. I get hot when you hit the jack hit the jack. I get hot when you hit the jackpot. I get hot when you hit the jackpot. I get hot when you hit the jackpot. The jackpot. I get hot when you I get hot when you hit the jackpot. I get hot when you hit the jackpot. I get hot when you hit the jackpot. I get hot when you hit the jack hit the jack. I get hot when you hit the jackpot. I get hot when you hit the jackpot. I get hot when you hit the jackpot. The jackpot. Don't tread on me. Don't tread on me.
I'm good.